Four and a half million people in the state were without power. Uh, they had uh, water lines freezing, bursting in people's homes, flooding homes, and, and hundreds of people died uh, in, in Texas in February. And meanwhile, while all of this chaos is happening, uh, the senator for Texas, maybe you've heard of him, uh, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz decided that was the time to take a family vacation to Mexico. Uh, and so because of cell phones and social media, it was quickly discovered that he was on an airplane uh, on his way to vacation in Mexico. And he was lampooned and, uh, and mocked and, and called out and he was shamed into returning back to the state. Um, now, there, there was very, very little that Ted Cruz could actually do for the victims of, of the weather and, and of the power outages. There was very little he could actually do to fix it. But, but as a representative of the people, there was an expectation that he was going to be with them, alongside them, doing what he could to alleviate some suffering. There was an expectation that he was going to be in person in the state and not uh, enjoying his, his privilege and his wealth in Mexico, being able to escape it all. Um, sometimes I, I wonder, when God looks down at the state of our planet, at the state of people, and not just in the valley, and not just in Canada, when God actually looks down on the world, what does he see? What does he see globally? Because God is omnipresent, meaning at all places, at all times, and so in a moment he knows everything that's going on around the entire planet, not just here. And what he sees today, today in 2021, is that 700 million people live in extreme poverty. Extreme poverty is classified as uh, living on, on, on under $2 a day, really $1.90 a day. And that seems, that seems pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? Like if you actually think about your family living on a toonie a day, it's impossible. And it seems unfathomable that, that people on this planet, 700 million people, that, that's a huge number, that's 19 times the population of Canada. 19 Canadas live under $2 a day, and, and when, when I spent some time in a cool, I actually asked the question, I sat in a room with some ladies and said, what's the average income, family income here in this village, in rural Akul, Guatemala? And I was told it was $1.56 a day. 700 million people living on $2 a day. 80% of the world, 80% of the world, four out of every five people live on less than $10 a day. And so the, the, the reality that we see here in the Couch and Valley and in Canada, it, that we see around us and also in, in the media, is, is very, very different than the way that the, the vast majority of the world lives. He also sees a child under the age of 15 dying every five seconds globally from a preventable cause. Now that's, that's, you know, that's just a statistic, but if you actually think about your kids, every five seconds, Addison, four, three, two, Naomi, five, four, three, Josh, four, preventable. Lack of clean water, lack of sanitation, lack of proper basic health care, and proper nutrition. A child under 15, every five seconds is dying. And, and God sees that when he looks at the world today. Um, I, we usually like to compare ourselves with our neighbors, and when we compare ourselves with our neighbors, we're not... Uh, you know, we're not doing nearly as well as they are, but globally, each of us, probably statistically in this room, no matter where we might find ourselves today, are probably in the top 2% of the world. Financially, in the top 2% of the world. The way that we live is not 
normal. When I look at, at my life, and, and this is one of those messages where um, I confess that, that I, I'm myself trying to preach from the text, but I'm also sitting with you here today. I'm not preaching as an expert or one who's, who's done this very well in my life, but, but as one who also needs to receive this message. So I'm preaching to myself alongside you here this morning. But, but sometimes when I look at my life here in the valley and the things that, that I work towards and the things I'm stressed about and, and where our money goes and, and our thoughts and, and our struggles and the apathy towards those, even those numbers that I've just stated myself. Sometimes I wonder if God sees me as Ted Cruz on a beach in Mexico while Texas freezes. How does God view us in light of what's going on around the world? Um, we just finished a series in the dailies uh, through the Old Testament. And we worked through the Old Testament in 12 weeks. And we saw over and over again was that God had called Israel for a purpose. That they were supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be a witness. And they were supposed to be a blessing. And they were supposed to reach out to the poor and the needy around them. But what happened over time, and I think it's, it's a human condition, is that, is that they the, the rulers of Israel became greedy and oppressive. The people became isolationists and protectionists and, and fearful of those on the outside. And they be, personally, they became idolatrous in their worship, even though they were going through the motions. And God called them out time and time and time again. And, and um, I got to say, one of the most challenging passages in Scripture, for me personally, especially to read it in a worship service, is found in Amos. And so... Uh, this morning's topic is not easy. I confess that it's dark and talk to the staff. I struggled all week trying to pull this together. It's going to get, it's, there's, there's hope coming, but we, we're going to have to walk through some muck first. Okay, are, are you with me? It's going to be dark and there's, there's hope coming. Let's just stick with it. So um, here's what, what God has to say to Israel. In Amos chapter five, this is God speaking. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. He's talking about worship services. God says, I hate, I despise your worship services. He's not saying that to us necessarily. This is Israel. But still, it's important. We need to read this and grapple with this. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. God's talking about worship service. They're meeting together in Jerusalem and they're going through the motions of the sacrifice. And they're singing the songs and they're saying the right words. And God says, stop, I'm not even listening. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. God says, I don't want just your words. Look around you. I want justice. I want you to be engaged in the life of people around you who are hurting and needy and not just songs. Israel continually failed at this over and over again and God continued to send prophets to call them to repent and eventually they sent them into exile. Um, but what we see through the Old Testament is that Israel, because of its hardened hearts, because it was before Jesus, was unable to follow the law. There was this law of you need to do this and Israel just couldn't over and over again because of the sin in their hearts. But we see Jesus come onto the scene and Jesus becomes the true and better Israel. That Jesus is the Israel that Israel itself couldn't be and, and, and he succeeds 
succeeds when it comes to the temptations. And he is uh, the son of God. Israel was called God's son and, and they failed and they ignored and they rejected God. And God comes down and Jesus is God's son who becomes the true and better Israel in our place to fulfill the law for us. And in Jesus, we're told that the kingdom has finally arrived. That Israel has been fulfilled. The law has been fulfilled. And now Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom is here. This thing that we've been waiting for, the kingdom is here. And, and as we know, we talk about lots, that, that Jesus doesn't come to start a new religion. And he doesn't come just to give us plane tickets into heaven. But rather, there's an expectation through all of his parables that the kingdom is breaking in. That the church is the inauguration of the kingdom. That we are supposed to be under the rule and the reign of God, doing something in the world as citizens, as we follow Jesus as king. Well, what does this kingdom life look like? Well, thanks, Gabe. What a timely and excellent question. What does it look like to live out? If Jesus says, listen, following me is not just about a declaration, but it's actually about following me with your lives and about justice. What does that look like? And that's where we come to Micah chapter 6 verse 8, which we're going to be in for the next three weeks. as sort of the, the, this theme as a church. It's just very clear and concise as to what kingdom life looks like. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This, this threefold mandate of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God under the reign and the rule of Jesus is very simply laid out here in Micah 6, 8. To, to do justice. Again, we go back to that verse in Amos where, where God says, I, I don't want to just hear your songs. I want you to let justice roll down like waters, to do justice. And then next week we'll talk about what, what, what he means here by loving mercy or to love kindness and walking humbly with God the week after. So, to do justice. In the Hebrew, this word justice is mishpat. And, and mishpat means to make right. It's about restoration, about restoring. And there's these themes all the way through scripture about God wanting to restore the way that things were initially intended in the garden. To go back to the garden. And justice is often about going back to the created intention. But mishpat, judgment, justice, is also about giving people what they're due. That, that sort of rings a little true with us as we think about justice. And, but usually when we think of giving people their due, what they're due, we think of punishment. We think of judgment. And that's part of it. Justice is part of it when it comes to evil and wrongdoing. But, but even more so when it comes to justice, it's about giving people their due when it comes to things like shelter and care. Seeing the dignity they have made in the image of God, creating them as children of the Almighty. That's justice as well, treating people as God has designed them to be treated. The people have those basic rights. And there's something about justice that God expects in these things. We see it in the New Testament. James uh, very famously writes this, James 1, 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So there is a spiritual component that even James says, and, and we don't want to discount that, and, and that's part of it. We're going to talk about that in week three, in particular, that our personal walk with God. But, but Micah 6, 8 starts off with this idea of justice. And here he says, widows and orphans. And then in 2.14, James continues. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith 
but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need to be uh, for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James says that, that our faith needs an action component to it. That just simple belief is not really true biblical faith. That there's this justice peace that needs to be tied to this kingdom life. But what's up with the widows and the orphans? Well, Gabe, thanks for asking another timely question. Really appreciate it. I'm glad you're tracking with me. The widows and the orphans here are, it's not two separate groups. It's not like James is saying, okay, those widows over there and those orphans over there. Make sure you're looking over those two groups. It's actually sort of one group altogether that he's lumping. He's talking about people who are vulnerable. He's talking about those who are vulnerable in that society. The the most vulnerable at that day were, were those who were widows and those who were orphans. To be vulnerable is to be susceptible to harm. So culturally, in our society and globally, who are the vulnerable? If we're supposed to look out, if part of our our mandate as kingdom citizens and following Jesus is to do justice, James says a huge part of that is to look out for the vulnerable. Who are the vulnerable? An example might be a young girl in Thailand whose family are so dependent on perhaps a rice harvest for their livelihood. And imagine perhaps it's a weather event or something happens and the rice crop fails. There's vulnerability. There's a susceptibility for her to harm where perhaps the only, the only hope the family has, the only thing the family can do to survive that season is to sell their daughter into trafficking. Now, can you imagine, as I was thinking about this this week, like I, I know that we, we know that happens in our head. But as dads, I want you for a moment just to think about being at a place in your life where you have no other option than selling your daughter. And that's happening millions of times around the globe today. And God looks down at this plight of the world under our watch. This is going on. A vulnerable person as well. You look at uh, perhaps a coffee farmer in, in Colombia who, 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 who has this rural plantation, who doesn't have a lot of equipment and, and has a buyer. He perhaps doesn't have access to the markets and has one buyer that comes in and offers him well below what it costs him to actually produce the coffee. But he has no other options because the coffee is slowly starting to rot and he has to take this exorbitantly low amount And he can't plant anything new because he doesn't have time or the finances to do it. And he's stuck in this cycle of slavery, having to sell this coffee to this one buyer. And it's it's slavery. And he's susceptible to the harm of being oppressed and abused. Uh, We also talked this week about the unreached people and and the susceptibility, the vulnerability of people, perhaps the, the millions in India, the millions in India who have no local church. There is no gospel in their culture who are susceptible to a pretty dire harm of standing someday before a righteous God, never hearing about Jesus, but having pagan idols and and temples at every corner. And, And God looks down at that world, the world on our watch, where we, his kingdom people, 
called to be salt and light, to bring justice and mercy. And does he look on us and does he see Ted Cruz vacationing in Mexico while the world burns? But the good news, I told you there was good news in this. The good news is that when God looks down, he doesn't see us in our complacency. He doesn't see us in, in, in our, our, our idolatrous consumption, consumerism, and, and that our, our spending habits in the top 2%, right, that we're, we're causing much of the economic injustice in the world. That's not what he sees when he looks at us. Instead, he chooses to look at us and see Jesus beaten and broken on the cross. Jesus is the justice of God, that God loves justice, and we rightly stand under condemnation for our personal sin and also our, our social global sin. But Jesus, God looks at us and he sees the broken body of Jesus on the cross who took the punishment for us so that rather than bringing God's justice on us, God brought his justice down on his son, Jesus, in our place so that we don't stand under guilt anymore. We don't need to live in this place of guilt looking at, I need to, to fix it. I need to, 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 to pull myself up by my bootstraps that God is judging me on these things, no, God just Jesus, and in his place, God gives us grace, and he gives us mercy. God offers us freedom, and that is our identity. And so the hope is that, that, uh, that we need to understand the brokenness of the world and the call of God in our lives to do justice, but that God, when he sees us, pours justice down on Jesus, and we walk in freedom. And Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant, where one servant owes his boss in today's dollars, it was millions of dollars. He owes the king millions of dollars. And he pleads for mercy. He begs the king for mercy. And the king is merciful and forgives this multi-million dollar debt. And the servant leaves rejoicing that he's forgiven and he's escaped imprisonment. And he sees a fellow servant, a buddy of his, who owes him $20. And he grabs him by the throat. And he demands that this man pay him his $20. And the king hears of it. And throws the first servant in jail and reinstates the debt. And um, when we hear that parable, it really needs to come down to, first of all, we don't live in guilt. We realize that all that we have been forgiven, the mercy and the grace and the love that washes over us. And that is our identity. And we are free adopted as sons and daughters of the king. That we've been called into kingdom living as ambassadors. And we live in this freedom where then it should lead us to go so out of gratitude I get to bring justice. And it's not all on me. It's not up to me. But out of this overwhelming gratitude, man, I got to do something. And I think that's the expectation of the kingdom. We're told in Romans that that we must confess with our mouths and believe that Jesus is Lord. And if we do that, then we're saved, right? Even Martin Luther struggled with this tension of, of I'm saved by grace through faith alone and not by works. That I am saved not because of anything I've done and not because of all the justice initiatives in my life. I'm saved by grace alone through faith. And that is the truth. But in Romans, we see that we're saved through the declaration of our mouth, but then also the belief in our heart that Jesus is Lord. And what does it mean to believe that Jesus is Lord? I believe that as we see in James, it means that we need to start doing things, that there are works that should be a component of our faith. 
that we're saved by faith. But what does faith look like? It also means works. Um, N.T. Wright has really helped me this week as I've been wrestling with this. Where he says this declaration where whether it was at camp one day when you were a teenager or in your bed with your parents as you prayed it, or perhaps in this room when you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. That is a work of faith. The Spirit of God has started this regenerative work in your life and, and he brings you to this place of saying, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord and I need your forgiveness. That is a work of faith and that in that work saves us. But as N.T. Wright says, it should be in the life of a Christian, the first of many works. That should be the first of many works. That we're called to live a kingdom life of justice, mercy, and walking humbly. God has blessed us here in the West with an abundance of resources. And the question that we've got for, for you, hopefully in your house churches, if you're in house church, to discuss this week, to talk about, to wrestle through is, are you working to bring justice to the world? It's not on you. We can't fix it. We can't fix it in, in with, one, with one grandiose gesture. We can't do it on our own. But God collectively has called the church to be part of the solution, to work towards it. And so personally, in your life, with what God has given you, with the time and the resources and the gifts that he's given you, what are you doing to work towards bringing justice in the world? And if you're not, I mean, that's, that's where we start. It's to ask the question. And if the answer is, well, I guess I'm kind of not, then the question becomes, well, what could you do? What could you partner with? What, what, what could you give to? What, is, what burden has God placed on your heart? What breaks your heart? And then it's not a matter of fixing it all on your own, but a matter of begin to journey into that, becoming aware and figuring out what you can do and, and how you can do it. It might feel very, very small, but very, very small, multiplied many times as people engage can become very big. As we walk alongside people seeking to do justice. Um, very practically as well this week, um, I, I reached out. We've got a partnership with, uh, with a, a village in, in Guatemala. And what we're seeking to do is bring them out of a place of vulnerability, working with them, trying to teach them skills, help them establish a foundation so that they graduate. And we're, what, about five years away from them graduating. And when they graduate, they we're hoping, the plan is that they are no longer vulnerable. They're standing on their own, in their own culture, in their own way, not as Canadians, but as thriving Guatemalans, rural Guatemalans, in their culture, with their language. And so we've partnered with them to try and help establish this. And so uh, we, had we have 136 kids, I believe, that are sponsored. We had sponsored all of them. The whole village is sponsored. And I reached out and I said, any chance you've got any new kids, any more kids? And so sure enough, uh, they've expanded the project. And this week, we have 10 more kids. And so out of the coffee bar, there are 10 more kids. Uh, and so that's not the answer to, to this justice question, but it could be unanswered. It could be part of the answer. There is an opportunity very practically for you if you're not already um, partnered with what we're doing in a cool. Henry's going to be at the coffee bar. Just go talk to Henry. And you can join in that of trying to bring justice to a cool. Again, not the only answer, but an easy start. Uh, this is um, it's not an easy message. But again, I come back to Ted Cruz and his flip-flops lounging on the beach while Texas is in chaos. 
for many of us, let's, if we're honest, isn't that part of the dream? And God is calling us back to walk alongside, to bring justice in a world that is just broken and hurting. Because that's what it means to be kingdom citizens and not just waiting for pie in the sky someday. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are selfish people. I confess that I am selfish. I believe that I'm surrounded by people who struggle with that too. God, we love that we're in the top 2%. We love the comfort. We love the stuff. But God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the responsibility that we have to our brothers and our sisters around the world, particularly those who live in such vulnerable states. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours, even though that makes us uncomfortable. And then God, place within us a, a brokenness, a dissatisfaction, a brokenness for something. And may it lead us to become part of the solution of bringing your kingdom, your light into that darkness. Being part of the justice solution of making things right. And, and treating people, God, as you have made them to be treated. God, I pray that you would give us something this week. Put something on our minds or our hearts or across our paths. Something that we could partner with become people who do justice as part of our kingdom life. God, we thank you so much, first and foremost, for the grace that you love us, that you've washed us clean, and that our salvation doesn't rest on all that we do, but help us to do because you first loved us. Help us to bring justice because you first brought justice for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.